Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, man. Little mama gonna move some You been talking for a while, you gotta prove some Too busy working, man, I'm in my cousin's trial They hate you when you style, people hate to see you smile, you know Yeah Mmm I told my nigga I need inspiration You just need a bitch to hurt you Teacher, I just hope I always be referred to Teachers, I don't know a nigga that deserves to Research, I was staying way after my curfew I was in Miami trying to eat right We done brought the city to the beach like Airlines, man, I had to get my seats right Brian left, nigga best believe it's still at heat like Shake some, little mama gonna shake some all that giving you been doing, better make some She said it's only been a week, why don't you wait some? That face some, make me jacket wanna take some You only act and I can feel it from AM to PM Don't get distracted by them people that's up in your DM At least we work it out, we athletes Drop the new for all the bitches in the jack reef Cowboy 
And if you get drunk, you can sleep in the back of that long bed flat black recorder ton cowboy Cadillac. Let her unwind. Now mine's a 59 Chevy, hers a 61 Ford And that's the kind of thing that could get a man ignored But she said, don't worry babe, I know it's just a phase And when it comes to pickup trucks, I swing both ways Maybe I'm crazy, dump them, run off the track But good lord, that girl looks sexy in that cowboy Cadillac Cowboy Cadillac is long and lean It's the closest thing you'll find to a farmer's limousine and if you get drunk, you can sleep in the back of that long bed, flat, black, recorder ton cowboy Cadillac. Well, it's a long bed, flat, black, recorder ton cowboy Cadillac. Well, it's a long bed, flat, black, recorder ton cowboy Cadillac. Bonsoir and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, mesdames and messieurs. It is Sunday, the ninth day of June in the year 2019, and you're now listening to Playtime with Sandra Radio. I'm your host, Sandra London of livinggrind.com, broadcasting for you live from the sunny beaches of Southern California. Playtime with Sandra Radio can be heard by a blog talk radio, tune in radio, iTunes, digital podcast, and livinggrind.com. The songs we heard at the top of the hour were Move Something, At Dawn by Distemper, and Cowboy Cadillac by Ray William Roldan. Enjoy these next songs. I think I'll play a chapter of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, all 10 in its proper order will be ready for your consumption very, very soon. But in the meanwhile, please check out. Oh, and I went to that match, that boxing match. Yes, I was there. I took pictures. I can prove it. <laughs> yeah, we'll address that in a couple minutes already but check out Dance Macabre by Candida. I know you remember when I blown up 
Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, written by Robert Louis Stevenson of Scotland and published in the U.S. in 1886 in the month of January. The first chapter is Story of the Door. Recording for you now, live by Sandra London. Mr. Utterson, the lawyer, was a man of a rugged countenance that was never lighted by a smile, cold, scanty, and embarrassed in discourse, backward in sentiment, lean, long, dusty, dreary, and yet somehow lovable. At friendly meetings and when the wine was to his taste, something eminently human beaconed from his eye something indeed which never found its way into his talk, but which spoke not only in these silent symbols of the after-dinner face, but more often and loudly in the act of his life. He was austere with himself, drank gin when he was alone, to mortify a taste for vintages. And though he enjoyed the theater, he had not crossed the doors of one for 20 years. But he had an approved tolerance for others, sometimes wondering, almost with envy, at the high pressure of spirits involved in their misdeeds and in any extremity inclined to help rather than to reprove. I inclined to Cain's heresy, he used to say quaintly. I let my brother go to the devil in his own way. In this character, it was frequently his fortune to be the last reputable acquaintance and the last good influence in the lives of downgoing men. And to such as these, so long as they came about his chambers, he never marked a shade of change in his demeanor. No doubt the feat was easy to Mr. Utterson, for he was undemonstrative at the best, and even his friendship seemed to be founded in a similar capacity of good nature. It is the mark of a modest man to accept his friendly circle ready-made from the hands of opportunity. And that was the lawyer's way. His friends were those of his own blood or those whom he had known the longest. His affections, like ivy, 
or the growth of time. They implied no aptness in the object. Hence, no doubt, the bond that united him to Mr. Richard Enfield, his distant kinsman, the well-known man about town. It was a nut to crack for many what these two could see in each other or what subject they could find in common. It was reported by those who encountered them in their Sunday walks, but they said nothing, looked singularly dull, and would hail with obvious relief the appearance of a friend. For all that, the two men put the greatest store by these excursions, counted them the chief jewel of each week, and not only set aside occasions of pleasure, but even resisted the calls of business that they might enjoy them uninterrupted. It chanced on one of these rambles that their way led them down a by street in a busy quarter of London. The street was small and what is called quiet, but it drove a thriving trade on the weekdays. The inhabitants were all doing well, it seemed, and all emulously hoping to do better still and laying out the surplus of their grains and coquetry. So the shop front stood along that thoroughfare with an air of invitation, like rows of smiling saleswomen. Even on Sunday, when it veiled its more florid charms and lay comparatively empty of passage, the street shone out in contrast to its dingy neighborhood, like a fire in a forest. And with its freshly painted shutters, well-polished brasses, and general cleanliness and gaiety of notes, instantly caught and pleased the eye of the passenger. Two doors from one corner, on the left hand, going east, the line was broken by the entry of the court. And just at that point, a certain sinister block of building thrust forward its gable on the street. It was two stories high, showed no window, nothing but a door on the lower story and a blind forehead of discolored wall on the upper. A bore and every feature the marks of prolonged and sordid negligence. The door, which was equipped with neither bell nor knocker, was blistered and disdained. Tramps slouched into the recess and struck matches on the panels. Children kept shot upon the steps. The schoolboy had tried his knife on the moldings, and for close on a generation, no one had appeared to drive away these random visitors or to repair their ravages. Mr. Enfield and the lawyer were on the other side of the by street, but when they came abreast of the entry, the former lifted up his cane and pointed. Did you ever remark that door? he asked, and when his companion had replied in the affirmative, it is connected in my mind, added he, with a very old story. Indeed, said Mr. Utterson, with a slight change of voice. And what was that? Well, it was this way, returned Mr. Enfield. I was coming home from some place at the end of the world, about three o'clock of a black winter morning, and my way lay through a part of town where there was literally nothing to be seen but lamps, street after street, and all the folks asleep street after street, all lighted up as if for a procession, and all as empty as a church, until at last I got into that state of mind when a man listens and listens and begins to long for the sight of a policeman. All at once I saw two figures, one, a little man who was stumping along eastward at a good walk, and the other, a girl, of maybe eight or ten, who was running as hard as she was able down a cross street. Well, the, the two ran into one another, naturally enough, at the corner. And then came the horrible part of the thing. So the man trampled calmly over the child's body and left us screaming on the ground. It sounds nothing to hear, but it was hellish to see. It wasn't like a man. It was like some damn juggernaut. I gave a few hello, took to my heels, collared my gentleman, and brought him back to where there was already quite a group about the sweeting the screaming child. He was perfectly cool and made no resistance, but gave me one look so ugly that it brought out the sweat on me like running. The people who it turned out were the girl's own family, and pretty soon the doctor, for whom she had been sent, put in his appearance. 
well, the child was not much the worse, more frightened, according to the sawbones. And there, you might have supposed, would be an end to it. But there was one curious circumstance. I had taken a loathing to my gentleman at first sight. So had the child's family, which is only natural. The, the doctor's case was what struck me. He was the usual cut and dry apothecary of no particular age and colour with a strong Edinburgh accent and about as emotional as a bagpipe. Whereas uh, he was like the rest of us. Every time he looked at my prisoner, I saw that sawbones turned sick and white with desire to kill him. I knew what was in his mind, just as he knew what was in mine, and kidding being out of the question, we did the next best, because the man we could and would make such a scandal to this, I should make the same stink from one end of London to the other. If he had any friends or any credit, we undertook that he should lose them. And all the time, as we were pitching it in Red Hot, we were keeping the women off him as best we could, for there was wild heartbeats. I never saw a circle of such hateful faces, and there was the man in the middle, with a kind of black, sneering coolness. Frightened too, I could see that, but carrying it off, sir, really like Satan. If you choose to make capital out of this accident, said he, I am naturally helpless. No gentleman but wishes to avoid a scene, says he. Name your figure. Well, we screwed him up to a hundred pounds, for the child's family. It was clearly like to stick out, but there was something about the law of this that meant mischief, and at last he struck. The next thing was to get the money, and where do you think he carried us? But to that place with the door, whipped out a key, went in, and presently came back with the matter of ten pounds in gold and a check for the balance on coupe drawn payable to bear and signed with a name that I can't mention, though it's one of the points in my story, but it was a name at least very well known and often printed. The figure was stiff, but the signature was good for more than that if it was only genuine. I took the liberty of pointing out to my gentleman that the whole business looked apocryphal, that a man does not in real life, or walk into a cellar door at four in the morning and come out with another man's check for close up on a hundred pounds. But he was quite easy and sneering. Set your mind at rest, says he. I will stay with you till the banks open and cash the check myself. So we all set off the doctor, the doctor and Todd's father, and our friend and myself, and passed the rest of the night in my chambers. And next day, and we had breakfasted and went in about in a body to the bank. I gave him the check myself and said I had every reason to believe it was a forgery. Not a bit of it. The check was genuine. Put put, said Mr. Ederson. I see you feel as I do, said Mr. Enfield. Yes, it's a bad story. But my man was a fellow that nobody could have to do with. A really damnable man. And the person that drew the check is the very take of the proprieties celebrated to, and what makes it worse, one of your fellows who do what they call good. Jack Mayle, I suppose, an honest man, paying through the nose for some of the capers of his youth. Black Mellows is what I call the face with the door in consequence, though even that, you know, is far from explaining all. He added, and with the words fell into a vein of musing. From this, he was recalled by Mr. Ederson, asking rather suddenly, And yet, knows the drawer of the check lives there? A likely place, isn't it? returned Mr. Enfield. But I have noticed his address. Uh, he lives in some square or other. And he never asked about the place with the door, said Mr. Ederson. No, sir, I had a delicacy, was the reply. I feel very strongly about putting questions. It partakes too much of the style of the day of judgment. You start a question, and it's like starting a stone. You sit quietly on the top of a hill, and the way the stone goes, starting others, and presently some bland old bird 
the latter of Thoros is knocked on the head in his own garden and the family have to change the name. No, sir, I make it a rule of mine. The more it looks like Queer Street, the less I ask. A very good rule, too, said the lawyer. But he studied the place for himself, continued Mr. Enfield. It seems scarcely a house. There's no other door, and nobody goes in or out of that one, but once in a great while, the gentleman of my venture. There are three windows looking out on the court on the first floor, none below. The windows are always shut, but they're clean. And then there's a chimney, which is generally smoking, so somebody must live there. And yet it's not so sure, for the buildings are so packed together that the court and that it's hard to say where one ends and another begins. The pair walked down again for a while in silence, and then, Enfield, said Mr. Ederson, that's a good rule of yours. Yes, I think it is, returned Enfield. But for all that, continued the lawyer, there's one point I want to ask. I want to ask the name of that man who walked over the child well, said Mr. Enfield, I can't see what harm it would do. It was a man of the name of Hyde. Hmm, said Mr. Ederson. What sort of a man is he to see? He is not easy to describe. There's something wrong with his appearance. Something displeasing. Something downright detestable. I never saw a man I so disliked, and yet I scarce know why. He must be deformed somewhere. He has a strong feeling of deformity, although it couldn't specify the point. He is an extraordinary-looking man, and yet I really can name nothing out of the way. No, sir, I can make no hand of it. I can't describe him. And it's not want of memory, for I declare I can see him this moment. Mr. Ederson again walked some way in silence, and obviously under a way of consideration. You're sure he is the king? He inquired at last. My dear sir, began Enfield, surprised out of himself. Yes, I know, said Ederson. I know it must seem strange. The fact is, if I do not ask you the name of the other party, it is because I know it already. You see, Richard, your tale has gone home. If you have been inexact in any point, you had better correct it. I think you might have warned me, returned the other with a touch of sullenness. But I have been pedantically exact, as you call it. The fellow had a key, and what's more, he has it still. I saw him leave it not a week ago. Mr. Ederson sighed deeply, but said never a word. And the young man presently resumed. Here's another lesson to say nothing, said he. I am ashamed of my long tongue. Let us make a bargain, never to refer to this again. With all my heart, said the lawyer, I shake hands on that, Richard.
case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Lewis Stevenson. Chapter 2, Search for Mr. Hyde. Recorded by Sandra London of livinggrind.com. That evening, Mr. Ederson came home to his bachelor house in somber spirits and sat down to dinner without relish. It was his custom of a Sunday, when this meal was over, to sit close by the fire, a volume of some dry divinity on his reading desk, until the clock of the neighboring church rang out the hour of twelve, when he would go soberly and gratefully to bed. On this night, however, as soon as the cloth was taken away, he took up a candle and went into his business room. There he opened his safe, took from the most private part of it a document endorsed on the envelope, on the envelope as Dr. Jekyll's will and sat down with a clouded brow to study its contents. The will was holograph for Mr. Utterson, though he took charge of it now that it was made, had refused to lend the least assistance in the making of it. It provided not only that, in case of the decease of Henry Jekyll, MD, DCL, LLD, FRS, etc., all his possessions were to pass into the hands of his friend and benefactor, Edward Hyde. But that in case of Dr. Jekyll's disappearance or unexplained absence for any period exceeding three calendar months, the said Edward Hyde should step into the said Henry Jekyll's shoes without further delay and free from any burden or obligation beyond the payment of a few small sums to the members of the doctor's household. This document had long been the lawyer's eyesore. It offended him, both as a lawyer and as a lover of the sane and customary sides of life, to whom the fanciful was the immodest. And hitherto, it was his ignorance of Mr. Hyde that had swelled his indignation. Now, by a sudden turn, it was his knowledge. It was already bad enough when the name was but a name of which he could learn no more. It was worse when it began to be clothed upon with detestable attributes, and out of the shifting, insubstantial mists that had so long baffled his eye, there leaped up the sudden, definite presentment of a fiend. I thought it was madness, he said, as he replaced the obnoxious paper in the face, and now I began to say it is disgrace. With that, he blew out his candle, put on a great coat, and set forth in the direction of Cavendish Square, that citadel of medicine, where his friend, the great Dr. Lanyon, had his house and received his crowding patients. If anyone knows, it will be Lanyon, he had thought. The solemn butler knew and welcomed him. He was subjected to no stage of delay, but ushered direct from the door to the dining room where Dr. Lanyon sat alone over his wine. This was a hearty, healthy, dapper, red-faced gentleman with a shock of hair, prematurely white, and a boisterous and decided manner. At sight of Mr. Utterson, he sprang up from his chair and welcomed him with both hands. Temptation. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.